Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast where we focus on real Canadian rugby. I'm Shu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, we're coming to the end of the Autumn International schedule. Were you able to catch any games over the weekend? I know there was one that uh, I chose to miss that uh, I'm sure a lot of English and non-Welsh fans were reveling in. <laughs> yeah, uh, the non-Welsh fans. Yeah, you know, it's a uh, it's a tough one for you. It's a tough week for you, Stu. As uh, but I mean, uh, you always tell me that it's like you're, you know, um, you kind of go with that uh that MJ from No Way Home sort of approach to life. Of it's just if you assume that you're going to be disappointed, you're never actually disappointed. So that at least is what you've seemed to imply to me is how you live life as a Welsh rugby fan, anyways. Yeah, well, being competitive and dire, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Hey, but, uh, but you know what? The trade-off, though, is that you're good at soccer again. Um, right? Is that the trade-off? Is that... Things yeah, uh, days, uh, Wales, Wales has always been a uh, football, uh, or as you call, soccer-loving nation. I don't know uh, what you're talking yeah, about. Rugby? They've never heard of it. I don't know uh, I don't know what you're getting at, mate. I was say, you know what's funny is that obviously the World Cup is happening now. Um, I'm. I really don't know a whole lot about soccer, and I saw like the rant. Um, uh, like I don't know. So I think it's like somebody had it on like the radio or something at work. Um, but they were saying that it's like Wales hasn't been in the World Cup for like fifty years or something. And yeah, since the, well, since the fifties. So since the fifties. Like, okay. Since a, so approaching like seventy years of this. Point. And it, my brain, I was like, oh, that seems weird. I just kind of always assumed all the UK countries were good at the sport they created. So I mean, I, I kind of learned something. I guess you guys well, put all your energy into rugby, which yeah, I suppose, maybe that's the well, problem. The soccer team got too good, and now you're like, there's a transition happening. I think as well is that when you come to like uh, World Cup qualifications for rugby, we know it's like the top, uh, the quarterfinal teams, and then the third best team mm-hmm. in the pool for the men's World Cup, at least, uh, go on to automatically qualify for the following World Cup. But with uh, football, it's different. It's only the hosts automatically qualify, like not even the previous winners. AKA the way it should be. Oh, we can get into that debate <laughs> in uh, 20, well, in, uh, what was it, 2031, when the USA have automatically qualified yeah. for the World Cup, which may be their first World Cup um, qualification for a while. We'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> but yeah, tough either- week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but that's a bit uh, I've known with like FIFA because, um, you know, when it was when Canada uh, qualified, it was like their first World Cup appearance in, you know, however many decades since the and, 80s. Yeah, since the 80s. Yeah. So. And, you know, it's sometimes it's just like the luck of the draw. So uh, especially when it comes to European country and like UEFA, obviously, there's far more nations within the same space of Canada. So it's only a certain number of nations can get to go through. And if you're in the pool with uh, England or France or, you know, Germany, one of those uh, dominant teams, and it's only the top team of that group goes through, then you're you're out of luck. Yes. You're not making through. So, yeah, it is a very complicated process. Um, something that is to me noted is that when the uh, fake World Cup or FIFA World Cup comes <laughs> to North America in 2026, it'll actually um, expand from the current format, which I think is uh, 36 teams, to 48. So, yeah. You know, far more nations are going to be represented in uh, four years' time. And it's something that uh, World Rugby should be looking at, of like expanding 
the uh, World Cup. But again, we'll, we'll get to that later. Now, before we get into the pod itself proper, um, I'm sure that anyone who has been on Canadian rugby social media has heard about the um, unfortunate um, traffic collision that Nick Allen has been in out in Bali. And as such, for those that don't know, um, uh, Nick Allen was involved in a serious motor vehicle accident in Bali, Indonesia. He was knocked unconscious and sustained severe injuries to his head and extremities. He was rushed to a nearby hospital. At the moment, uh, Nick's friends and family are crowdfunding to help uh, Nick pay for all the expenses incurred after the incident, which are entirely almost almost entirely medical bills. Uh, due to the current system that Nick has found himself in, he has very minimal coverage and everything will need to be paid out of pocket. These include uh, doctor, surgeon, specialist cons- consultations, surgery and treatment fees, basic medical supplies, daily hospital bed and room fees, nurse and daily care fees and miscellaneous hospital fees. Uh, Once Nick begins his recovery and is healthy enough to travel back home, there will be more expenses in the way of safe and reliable medical transport and rehabilitation services, all dependent on Nick's condition. These could include physiotherapy, TBI rehab, and possible extensive care needs. The current goal for the uh, donation is set at uh, $550,000 Canadian dollars. and there are links to the GoFundMe uh, by Rugby Canada, Rugby Ontario, the Toronto Arrows, um, every everywhere it seems to be of um, Canadian Rugby Twitter, which is you know wonderful to see. Uh, there are also a, I was to say I'll uh, add the link into the episode descriptions and stuff too. So yes. wherever you're listening to this, just scroll down. Yeah, and absolutely, there are uh, there have been loads of donations so far. So um, you know. Anything from like twenty dollars, a hundred dollars. So uh, the highest donation I've seen at the moment is ten thousand dollars. So obviously, um, very much appreciated. I'm sure by uh, Nick Allen's uh, friends and family. They are also providing updates. The latest one comes from Sunday, November twentieth, saying Nick has been pulling himself up to sit and is becoming more aware of what's going on. He continues to make slow but great progress. We should hopefully have a departure date back to Canada set in the next couple of days. Another thank you goes out to everyone who has donated, shared, and kept Nikki in their thoughts. So, you know, um, so wonderfully, uh, things seem to be going in, you know, the right direction uh, for Nick's recovery. But obviously, this is just um, part way step. The current uh, amount raised is just shy of 250000 So there's still... Uh, 300,000 more to go. Any contribution can be helped, uh, and I'll be contributing at some point as well. As I said, any um, donation will obviously go a long way to a son of Rugby Canada and a growing talent who we hope to see uh, well and recovered soon in the next few months. Okay, now let's move on to the meat and potatoes of the episode. So, we return to the Netherlands, where Rugby Canada finally have their final group game of the 2019 World Cup against Namibia. <laughs> you know, it's taken a while to get here, but uh, now that a typhoon, uh, COVID-19, and uh, travel plans couldn't only delay the inevitable, as Canada finally got to face Namibia in a neutral venue. And... 
if anyone's been uh, watching the men's 15s over the past couple of years and uh, it hasn't been great viewing and uh, yeah, I think that I think I think that gives the indication of where this scoreline is going. Oh, man, I was gonna say that's just uh, that's just harsh, man. I know. Uh, uh, I mean, it's it's probably fair, but uh, yeah, tough. I mean, yeah. lost. Uh, we can get into it though. It's not a. I yeah, mean, well, you finish up the score, and then we'll uh, we'll get into this. It's only I think Canada maybe should have won this game. Though. Canada probably should have won this game. However, the final score was Canada 37, Namibia 43. So Canada retained the same score they had last week, but uh, Namibia were just able to pit them to the post. It was the first ever win for Namibia over Canada. And as we said, this is uh, three years on from the um, missed uh, World Cup game in Japan. You know, it started off well. Cooper Coates getting the first... Uh, point on the board with a penalty. Uh, But then, soon enough, uh, Namibia rolled over for the first try. Uh, But it was quickly uh, retaliated by uh, Quatrin getting his first try of the match. And then, not long after that, uh, Corey Thomas uh, was able to get his um, first try of the game as well. Uh, Then we, uh, unfortunately, had uh, Namibia scoring their second try, so it was all being um, kept really close. And then we had uh, what was it? Um, Corey Thomas's, uh, th- uh, second his second try, Canada's third overall. All of these tries have been spot-on conversions by Cooper Coates. So getting to a good lead. And then just before halftime, uh, Namibia score their third try of the match. And then... On the restart, uh, the ball gets kicked to Namibia, who then do a chip kick, which uh, somehow misses uh, any Canadian hands, ends up straight back in Namibian hands. They pass it out wide, and uh, Namibia get their fourth of the game, but miss the conversion, so we are all square at halftime on 24 points each. Uh, When both teams came back from the break, it was Canada that got the... uh, their total moving first, with Quatron getting his second of the game and Canada's fourth try overall. And then we moved on to uh, Cooper Coates getting uh, a penalty in the 66th minute. He thought he had a try. However, uh, the ball got knocked on in the dead end zone. However, the advantage pulled it back. In hindsight, I think this should have been an opportunity for Canada to uh, kick to the corner, go for the driving mall again. But, you know, in... Mm. It's all hindsight's 2020, <laughs> so can't yeah, really that's speak too much of it. Um, that, yeah, that, then we out. Uh, yeah, no, then cool. it was. I'll let you finish up. Sorry, Namibia had gotten their um, fifth try of the game from Vanderberg in the 63rd minute, and then it was uh, Coates who got his penalty in the 66th. Um, then Namibia got their. Uh, yeah, Namibia then got their sixth try of the game, which was um, Van der Westhuizen's uh, second of the match in the 72nd minute. This was also not long after Josh Larson got a yellow card. I think that was probably like the big turning point for the game of where it was going to go. And then uh, Cooper Coates got his uh, third penalty of the game to bring Canada to 37, Namibia 36. Now, at this point, 
we all thought that the game was over because the clock was in the red. However, as uh, Brian Ray of uh, America's Rugby News pointed out, the referee had called for a stoppage of play and the clock had kept going. So this basically meant there were four or five minutes of gameplay still left to go that none of us knew about. And we're wondering, why is this taking so long? And unfortunately, Canada uh, just were unable to hold Namibia back uh, enough and Kisting got the try, which gave Namibia their first win over Canada. So... And then just to add it, um, just add salt to the wound, Kissing then nailed his conversion. So it was a full six point margin. Again, the final score Canada 37, Namibia 43. Derek, what did you make of this game? Yeah, I mean, uh, ended up being a pretty entertaining game. I mean, obviously, you know, Canada seemed to get off to a bit of a fast start, um, built up a little bit of a lead. Unfortunately, Namibia able to kind of come back and tie it up at halftime, and then yeah, a bit of a bit of a wild second half. I mean, I think um, there's there, I think there's both. This is one of those games again where it's like there's both um, you know the positives and the negatives um, to kind of come through it. I mean, I think we've said a few times on this podcast too over the last um, or at least during all the test matches this year. Um, which really there hasn't been too many, but um, it's it seems like it, and this is one of those years where it's like the scoreline kind of doesn't feel like it matters as much as, you know, just looking for like the signs of like development and like the team and the individual players getting better. And also maybe like the coach is also developing and, you know, maybe going with some different tactics and um, things like that. Um, so I guess like on that on that tactic front, I think, you know, after having the success with ball in hand against the Netherlands in the second half a week ago, um, they seemed like they wanted to kind of stick stick with that a lot more during this game, um, which I think Namibia was also perfectly fine with because they kind of did it too. Um, um, so a lot of ball in hand. I think, you know, obviously you kind of look at this game, Canada scores four tries, which is solid, but I mean, they allowed seven, which obviously is not that great. Um, I think defensively, Defensively, it's like there's nothing um, that like glaringly jumped out as like super problematic other than like all the typical issues that you probably have when you lose a rugby game. Um, You know, there's uh, there's, you know, there's too many missed tackles. Of course, there's, you know, too obviously there's like there's too many missed tackles. There's too many penalties. And ultimately, you gave up too many tries, um, which is. You know, that's some real in-depth rugby analysis for any loss that has ever happened <laughs> in the history of the sport. Um, right. So it's like you kind of have that. And obviously you do want to fix a lot of those things. Um, you know, in this game, a couple like I think, you know, some some big positives and stuff. I like the, uh, you know, uh, Cooper Coates. We got to give him a shout out over the past couple of games. Flawless. Like, literally. Yeah. I, he hasn't missed since forever ago. So, I mean. Um, you know, another game here where he's a perfect seven for seven, which I mean, realistically, considering like, like, you know, Namibia was and Laubser was kind of missing a couple kicks um, and Kitsing missed one as well. Like um, Coates being perfect really kept Canada in the game, um, especially yeah. as you just said, Stu, Canada lost by six despite giving up three more tries. Um, right. So like, um, 
you know, Coates, uh, Coates ability with the boot really kept them in the game. And I mean, like you kind of said, watching the game with uh, where the clock was at, um, I think we all thought that he actually won it at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, that wasn't the case on the ref's watch. But um, I think, you know, up front, I think in the forwards, I thought had a pretty solid game. Um, you know, Namibia has got a pretty good pack. It's like one of their, the, one of the better parts of their team that's kind of, has you know despite the fact that they haven't really had any world cup success um it is something like i I feel like it is a little bit of a better part of their game too um but i think like uh you know i thought like the line out i thought was great um and especially the line out in defense too um mm-hmm. obviously there was a lot of namibian line outs that were like overthrown or just straight up botched um yeah. but i think there was also a lot that were like oh like you know, um, Connor Keys got up and, you know, kind of got a hand on the ball or got up and, you know, disrupted it in some other way. Or, um, you know, um, Quatrin, like, obviously, you know, it, just because it's overthrown, it's like Quatrin's still alert enough to, like, pick up the loose balls and stuff. He was the first guy to a lot of those. And um, Canada was really... Uh, I thought, you know, defensively at the lineup, Canada did well. And they did, they, you know, they did pretty well defending a handful, a couple of the malls too. Although obviously a few of them got pushed over for tries. Um, the other side of that, though, was Canada's mall um, was once again um, doing pretty well. Um, as, you know, Quatrin again had two tries in this game. Um, Corey Thomas seems to score tries whenever he wears a Canada jersey. So that's always nice. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So he's picked up another, another couple. So it's good to kind of see him still being a, being a pretty big threat for this team too. Um, obviously as well, like my, my, my kind of big things in, in this, in these games, um, it's cool to see, um, a couple more guys getting, you know, getting some of their first caps like Owen Rutten, um, Kyle Steves getting into the game kind of late. Piers von Dadelson as well um, got in the game with 18 minutes left, and I thought was pretty good. Um, David Richard came in for Cole late in the game too. Um, you know, part of it being the developmental thing, kind of disappointed Foster Dewitt didn't get in the game. I know Quatrin was playing really well, but um, I think part of these games have to be to get those younger guys some cap opportunities. Um and it, it is also like, I mean, it's one of those things, too, where you look into the future of the team. And, you know, one of the things that really can separate good teams from great teams is, you know, obviously your consistency in your performance. And that consistency, not only just over the course of like a year or something, but over the course of a game as a whole, too. And, um, you know, it didn't work out, but it's like I kind of like the idea of giving, you know, some guys like. Kyle, like, you know, guys like Steves and um Dadelson um and Rutten like a chance at the end of the game to try to close it out. Um mm-hmm. didn't work, but hey, like that's something that the next generation of Canadian rugby players are gonna have to learn how to do is close out games. Yeah. Um it didn't work in this one. Ultimately, like I think they Canada might have been a little hard done by on a lack of scrum penalty called in the I'm, I guess like 79th minute, but I think on the scoreboard, if you're actually watching the game, probably says like 83 or 84 or something like that. Um, that ultimately gave them that gave them maybe that they didn't get that call. And then on the next scrum the, after they, they reset it, Namibia earned a penalty um, and then made a very perplexing choice to kick to the corner. 
um, before. I mean, I guess it worked out for them because they did end up scoring a try. Um, but I was still kind of kind of perplexed by that because it was a very makeable kick, I thought, um, from where that scrum penalty was. Um, but I mean, it does go to show you that, like, you know, there is obviously some work. There's still a lot of work to be done, right? Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I, I think like kind of looking at the last two games, um, you know, it's 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 ultimately like, I think it's nice to see a few of the younger players getting a chance. Um, I would maybe like to see them getting a little bit more time in some of these games. Um, but like, I don't know. Um, I've really liked watching uh, Josiah Morrow over the past two weeks. Um, I think he's been really good off injecting some speed, but um, into the lineup, but also like. He's, he's done well on like kick chases, things like that. He's, uh, it seems to be playing pretty well defensively. Um, Thiel and Lesage, pretty solid, um, 12 13 combination in the middle. Um, you know, so I mean, I think that's been working. Um, Povey, um, I like Povey a lot more than Peter Nelson. I hope that continues. Um, I know Peter Nelson's yeah. hurt, which is why he's not on this team, but I think if Povey keeps playing like that, I think. You know, you probably give him the 10 jersey going forward. Coates has obviously been phenomenal from at fullback, but also with the boot. Um, you know, so n- nice to see some of those guys. Get, I think uh, Vicolani, I don't think we really talked about it that much, but I thought he was really good against the Netherlands. I thought he kind of carried over a little bit in this game, but maybe didn't have as big of an impact. Um, and then, yeah, like it's uh, so it's kind of nice to see. Um, you know, a lot of some of those like like younger players kind of getting opportunities to uh to play. Um, I said I think as I kind of said earlier, like I think I'm a little less concerned with the actual results and stuff. Um, just because I think like you, we got to be using these years to develop guys, and I mean you're probably gonna lose some games that maybe you would prefer to win, but yeah. Um, you know you gotta. The, the thing is, too, though, it's like you got to put those young guys in these these situations where you have to close out a game. Um, and, you know, it didn't work today, but, like, that's what you have to build towards, right? And that yeah, I think as well it's worth um, remembering that with the exception of the, like, under-20s tournament that happened this summer, there hasn't been any developmental opportunities yeah. or as many developmental opportunities, I should say. Um, yes, the, there were as an under 19s tournament in uh, Amsterdam this summer as well. But yeah. these are the places where, you know, if say COVID, if COVID hadn't happened, this would have been opportunities that have been happening for like the past few years to get, yeah. uh, you know, younger players the opportunity to experience um, international rugby, even at like a lower age grade, so that when it comes to the national team, or the senior men's team, I should say, they're yeah. um, there and they're able to go. And, you know, that just hasn't happened. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, I, I agree with you where it's coming from of, yeah, um, yeah you obviously you want to win every game you're up against. And, um, oh, yeah, and also to mention that the games that uh, uh, Canada did play in, like, 2021 before the yeah. um, World Cup qualifications were against... England and Wales, uh, two of the top yeah. ten teams in the world, with and they got all smart. all players in a you know year year long tournament that yeah well, you know, th- has them in the right conditioning for international rugby and yeah you know but, it's just a 
I th- yeah, carry on, carry on. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I think too, like, I think a key thing to remember, like, if you're kind of evaluating this game, is like this is not the best team Canada that you can put forward. Uh-huh. No. Right. And it's like there's obviously like a handful of ML, like there's like a handful of MLR players that aren't on this squad right now. Um yeah. there's obviously the ongoing issue of where are all the European based guys, um, which is you know, obviously that's just an ongoing issue with this team that never seems to get answered. Um yeah. right. And um like you could probably like on paper you can put together a probably put together a better team Canada than this. I think right now, like I'm happy to see a version of Team Canada where it's like, yeah, let's play play a bunch of young guys, uh younger guys. I always keep forgetting that Rob B. Povey is uh way younger than I actually think he is for some reason. Um I don't know why, but um it's like I've been liking him at 10. Um, you know, and it's like Andrew Coe too, we haven't really talked about him too much. Man, that guy that guy looks like he's got some like superstar potential. Um yeah. and, and nice to see him re-signing with the champs as well. Him and Quinn Nawadi back. Quinn Nawadi, speaking of which, another player that's not on this squad right now. Um, so it's like there's definitely players that are available to Canada that aren't on this team, but I think that's kind of what you want to be doing, though, is giving young these younger players chances to try their hand at uh um you know, international rugby and, uh, you know, like what happened to Kyle Steves and Owen Rutten um, in this game is like kind of get thrown into the fire of like a really big situation at the, yeah. the end of the game and see how you go. Um, right. And, uh, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen next year. Um, uh, I believe Kingsley Jones's contract still goes through uh, the end of what would be the end of the World Cup. Um, so, I mean, there's still that, um, that's kind of lingering there. Um, right. So, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see like what kind of test matches Canada gets in the, as you know, a whole lot of other countries are preparing for the world cup. We'll be interesting to see what kind of competition, what kind of test matches Canada can get during, during next year as well. Um, right. Um, you know, I think, uh, we'll, we'll get into, I guess we'll get into a little bit of USA, Portugal later. Um, but like, it'd be nice to see like an ARC, something to that effect, come back, um, which would probably mm-hmm. benefit both our countries, to be honest. Yeah. Um, right. Like, it'd be nice to like, so, I mean, like, I don't know what the future of the competition and stuff's going to be, but I do know that, um, no matter who can ends up playing next year, um, like we got to keep kind of getting some of these young guys some experience and stuff so we got to find a way much like what we've been saying with the women's team like the the men's team also needs more games yeah um right like again it's it does seem to be a thing of like they would have had more games if if there hadn't been a global pandemic but you know you make do with i mean that's still but i mean the other thing is like how long can we use the pandemic as an excuse for, right? Like that's yeah, it's we are we are quickly running out of time <laughs> yeah. to keep using um, that. But, but it's like I don't know. I think ultimately though, I mean, like there's still stuff. The last two games, even even lose like there's still like those tiny things that you see every now and then that kind of gives you hope that the team is um slightly, you know, trending in an upward direction, right? Um and uh, you know, hopefully it uh, you know, going into the next year it'll just keep keep you know, keeps getting better, younger guys. Maybe we get some more guy 
um, more players in MLR. It seems like there's a few more guys signing in MLR this year. Um, I guess when uh, we get hit like January or so, we'll probably know a little bit closer to the, what the actual number is going to be. But um, I don't know. It feels like there's more Canadian signing in the league this year, right? And especially as uh, we'll get into some arrow signings and stuff, but we're finding more Canadian eligible guys to come over too. So um, that's always good. Yeah. So the men's team conclude their 2022 season with two wins over Belgium and the Netherlands and two losses, which is Spain and Namibia. As you said, nothing's been announced of any test matches in the foreseeable future or any dates given for 2023. Obviously, um, Canada aren't in the Men's Rugby World Cup, but there may be an opportunity to be part of the uh, warm-up games that will take place in August. Now, we quickly move from the Men's 15s to the Men's 7s because this uh, press release came out earlier uh, today, we are recording on Tuesday, the 22nd of November, and it is that Rugby Calendar has agreed to release the men's sevens head coach, Henry Paul, from his contract with immediate effect. So this comes out and it says, uh, Paul signed his tenure back in 2018 as defensive coach for the men's national team that earned qualification for the 2019 Men's Rugby World Cup. He later took the helm of the men's sevens program, leading the team to a bronze medal in the HSBC World Rugby Seven Series in 2020, an eighth place finish at the Tokyo Olympics in 2021, and later to the quarterfinals of the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham earlier this year. Uh, Paul has said, I'm really proud of my time here in Canada. I've worked with some incredible colleagues and coached some world-class players, experienced too many incredible moments to mention, the ones that I will always cherish. Now is the right time for me to focus on my family and the next challenge in my career. The future is bright for this young developing side, and I look forward to watching the game we all love continue to flourish in Canada. Uh, assistant coach Sean White will lead the men's team as they depart for back-to-back HSBC series stops in Dubai and Cape Town. And um, the new Rugby Canada CEO, Nathan Brombis, said, we would like to thank Henry for his service and commitment to our national team's input 7s and 15s. Coaching Canada into the Olympic quarterfinals was a highlight of his time with us. We wish Henry and his family all the best for the future. Be excited about what Sean can bring to the squad and look forward to watching him develop the team over the next two tournaments. Now, that all seems fine and dandy when we're talking about, obviously, it is a press release. It's going to be as official as possible. And and this news broke over Twitter. And so you go there and we see this being quoted by a certain Mr. Andrew Coe. Superstar, as I just mentioned. Indeed. And Andrew maybe has some, how do I put this, like, differing opinions. He's got some thoughts. uh, (laughs) Different thoughts, let's put it like that. Andrew Coe said, a massive that um, Henry Paul uh, stepping down is a massive win for the Sevens program. Excited to see where this program can go with better coaching and leadership. (laughs) (sighs) Damn, that's an all-time tweet right there, man. That is... uh... Yeah, and come on, Andrew, (laughs) just tell us how you feel. I, no, actually, honestly, I kind of love it. I mean, hey, we're all, I mean, it's it's no surprise. It's like, um, we're all thinking it. I mean, if you like, if you, I mean, can we, if you just click on the, the original Rugby Canada tweet and read those comments, um, pretty clear that uh, a lot of Canadian rugby fans don't exactly think he's the only one that should be going. Um, yes, if, that's if pretty you, clear. Um, now, obviously, 
<laughs> whenever you see whenever you see um, something come out on social media, uh, there's a tendency to uh, look Every at the single, uh, yeah. look at the comments, and everyone will tell you, "Don't, just don't." You yeah. need to preserve preserve your mental health somehow. So that's not to do. But the key thing over, um, well, especially on Twitter, appears to be that uh, that uh, they're saying, uh, <laughs> you know. There should maybe there should be a men's head coach who's uh, not in the sevens that yeah. uh, should be um, able to go. Uh, well, that's, I mean, the sentiment seems to be uh, continuing over on uh, Instagram as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, realistically, that sentiment uh, I think has been on every single Rugby Canada post um, for the past like year and a half by this point. Whether uh, they're announcing something important or just mentioning that there's a sale on Rugby Canada coffee mugs. Um, happening on their website right now um but like yeah i think it's uh like i mean yeah i think you know we all knew like the high performance review came out and stuff and like we've like everybody's been saying that it's like the, the organization needs some changes um and some yeah. changes in the coaching staff and stuff right and I mean, weirdly, it was like the women's 15s team got uh, got a coaching change like earlier this year, um, right? And I guess it's it does kind of feel like there's just it's a matter of time for the, these changes to be happening. Um, but yeah, it's um, it is one of those things though where it's like obviously Andrew Coe is um, has played for the sevens team, and um, it's it it is hilarious um, seeing the tweet go up. Um, and basically immediate, uh, pretty immediately after uh, Rugby Canada's, because it's like you know we know that there's a bit of a culture issue in Rugby Canada, and uh, yeah, you know, it, it is interesting to see like players um openly celebrating a coach being let go um on uh, on social media. Um, absolutely, that's an all time tweet. Um, it's uh, and the, the thing is though is I don't like I'm not disagreeing with this tweet. Um, so I hope it doesn't come across by that, but it, I mean it does it does highlight. Um, that there's there's a lot of changes that do need to happen at Rugby Canada. This is probably one of them. Um, so best of luck, best of luck though to Deshaun White, man. Like I think at the end of the day, um, as much as we all are like calling for changes at Rugby Canada, we do all want Rugby Canada to succeed as well. Um, so Sean White getting promoted, best of luck to him. Um, as uh, the seven series um continues, um, you know, uh. As Andrew Coe said, he's excited to see where the program can go with better coaching and leadership. So, uh, you know, hopefully that's Sean White and, uh, you know, we'll uh, get to see uh, the program on the rise again. They've been doing, they've, uh, you know, uh, I think that they struggled a little bit earlier in the uh, in the year too. But, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, much like the 15s team, it's, uh, you know, get some new guys in, uh, rebuild the team and, uh you know, kind of we're on to a new generation of sevens players too. It's not just the fifteenth team. Yeah. God damn, that's uh, a good tweet though. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I say, we've uh, we've talked about it and especially when the high performance review came out, it's clearly indicative that there needs to be wholesale change at rugby oh, yeah. calendar yeah, if they want exactly. to yeah. uh continue. So you know, it's gonna start small and uh well at least by um, I wouldn't necessarily say getting rid of our uh letting go the coach of a national team is necessarily small, but uh, well, that's what, uh, first of well, many, that's what I mean as in, as in, instead of saying like every single coach is fired, every member of the executive is gone. We have to do it like bit by bit by bit by bit. 
And, you know, if, if you're going to agree with Andrew Coe, then this seems to be a step in the right direction. Then this can be part of the yeah. gradual change that does eventually come back around to benefit Rugby Canada. Now, speaking of Rugby Canada, we move away from the men's. We're focusing on the women because it was the World Rugby Awards on Sunday. And unfortunately, there are two uh, downers for, uh, that happened. For example, um, uh, Abby Dow won a try, women's try of the year, which was against Canada. So we got to see that happen again, which was <laughs> delightful. Yes. Uh, yes. And... Uh, there was a bit of a spelling error when it came to the uh, Women's World Player of the Year because they misspelled uh, Sophie de Goody and um, Canada. And they, yeah, yeah, and I, you know, that, I think while well, it's one of these like communication issues, it just got lost in translation. They, and, they even uh, actually physically gave the award to somebody else. It was bizarre. I know it's it's just the height of incompetence. I do not know what's going on there, but uh, I've got a strongly worded letter being sent over. However. Um, Sophie DeGoody and Emily Totosi were both named in World Rugby's Women's 15 of the Year. And, you know, they were present there to receive their uh, interesting coloured uh, World uh, 15s kit, which was, uh, you know, that's just, that's a good yeah. It's also, though, like, it's cool because um, the other cool thing, though, is that, like, Heather Moise, um, Canadian World Rugby Hall of Famer, um, yes. actually presented them with the jerseys. So there's a bit of a Bit of some added uh, Canadian content at this award ceremony, so that was really cool to see too. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, um, so the uh, total uh, awards: uh, Women's Try of the Year went to Abby Dow. Men's Try of the Year went to Rodrigo Fernandez of Chile. Uh, the Special Merit Award went to Brian Habana. The Vernon Pugh Award for Distinguished Service went to Farah Palmer. Uh, the Referee Award went to Tapa Henning from South Africa. Women's seven player of the year was uh, Charlotte Kozlik from Australia. The men's sevens player was Terry Kennedy. Women's breakthrough player of the year was Ruby Tui. Uh, men's 15s breakthrough player of the year was Angie Capuzzo. Uh, men's coach of the year, uh, sorry, <laughs> the coach of the year was Wayne Smith, uh, the Black Ferns uh, coach. Uh, women's 15s player of the year. Now, I still think it was uh, Sophie DeGurdy, but apparently is. Rahe DeMont uh, for New Zealand, and the men's 15th player of the year was Josh Van der Fleer of Ireland. So congratulations to all recipients, and congratulations to the uh, recipients of the Dream Team of the Year for both men's and women's 15. Yeah. All right, while we're speaking on international rugby basis and world rugby, we have to talk about the game that decided the 20th and final entrant for the uh, 2023 Rugby World Cup. So, um, USA and Portugal went into this game on equal points. Um, however, on point difference, Portugal led. So, all they need to do was at least draw, and that's before without taking, um, you know, uh, try bonus points into the equation. USA absolutely needs to win. And um, now, this game was on quite early because obviously it was uh, played in Dubai. So the time difference, I think it was like a, like, it was an early kickoff for um, uh, the USA and Portugal. Yeah. And so I think it's like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was kind of unfortunate too. Like, I think, um, you know, before even getting into the game itself, it's one of those things where it's like, 
would want to grow the game of rugby in uh yeah. like in this part of the world like obviously world rugby seems to be somewhat invested in it because they gave uh the usa a world cup in nine years um so maybe like play this game on a saturday um like i'm not Mm -hmm. saying it could have and i'm not saying it had to be later in the day or anything because time zones are obviously a thing yeah I i think that was the main issue with it because um not only is it a um not only is it like an awkward time for like it's americans the, to the middle want, of the to, to watch this game but um when you think about it you are looking at the teams that were in the like final qualification tournament so that is kenya united states portugal and hong kong for hong kong this was also a very difficult time to watch the game uh, it benefited uh, kenya and portugal the most i would say and it's just cuz um, they're closer but yeah, like, exactly. It, exactly. And like, I and, you can and wake and, up on a Saturday to watch it, but it's like it's in the middle of the workday for like probably I mean I'm I don't know, maybe Portugal does things differently, but I'm assuming it's in the middle of their workday too. Right. Well, I don't know. I'd say that um to me, I'm surprised that this uh, tournament wasn't held in France because then you could at least have the argument of like, oh, it's being held in the host country. What? Well, I mean, that's... and therefore it's whichever team qualifies. This is the timeframes that you should um, start to familiarize yourself with. But you know, I'm I'm not a member of World Rugby. I'm not the one deciding where, when, the stadium or where didn't exactly look full for a lot of these games. It is. It's a, it's a seven stadium, and it's uh, only yeah. really used. Four of the sevens, um, but you know, money talks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the so we get to so uh, the final draw comes up. Uh, Hong Kong and Kenya have both lost their games against the United States and Portugal, respectively. So it just is um, a dead rubber between Hong Kong and Kenya. That's the first game, and then we move on to. The game of the United States versus Portugal, and yeah, it was a interesting and so AJ McGinty gets the scoring started, and then there's not long after a yellow card from Nate Orsberger, and then um, Portugal get their first try of the game and a conversion to take the lead. Uh, then we get to like the twenty second minute where Jose Lima gets his yellow card so now the Americans are up a player and AJ McGinty uh, takes the penalty from that point they're unable to add any further points in that time frame so then McGinty uh, gets another penalty or misses another penalty in the 31st minute um, to leave the score at 6-7 Portugal then get a penalty uh just before half time, and then right on the stroke of half time, McGillanty gets another penalty to make the half time score 9 10. Um, from the second half, uh, Portugal missed two penalties, score one to lead uh, 9 13. Then Capelli Pifaletti scores a try with McGinty converting to give um, the USA a narrow lead. Uh, Portugal get another yellow card in the 60th minute again. The United States are unable to score in those 10 minutes until finally we get into the um, very end of the game. Uh, I believe it was like the United States had like a line it, uh, line out 
and that just went to pot. And eventually, Portugal keep attacking and attacking and attacking. No, and eventually... no, it was uh, McGinty kicked it into the corner. It was a Portugal line out, but it was at five meters out from Portugal's line. Oh, yes. Sorry, uh, that. I'm, I'm just I'm just used to seeing it. Balls get kicked into the corner, and it's gonna be uh, yeah. whoever kicked it out. However, yes, you're right. It was a Portugal line out. Portugal then. Um, turned the attack and kept pushing and pushing and pushing and eventually the clock's in the red but the ref's arm has gone out and they are within kicking distance. Now they almost didn't need it. They uh, did go for the drop goal but it hit the post and so as such it went back for the penalty where Samuel Marquez stepped up and kicked the ball over Portugal in ecstasy and uh, the USA in heartbreak as Portugal got the draw of 16-all, and on points difference, they are the final team to qualify mm-hmm. for the Rugby World Cup to be held next year in France. So congratulations to them. Uh, let's look at the pool that they'll be in. They'll be uh, facing Georgia. You know, they've had a few encounters with them during, you know, the uh, Rugby Europe Championship. Uh, Fiji as well. I don't know if this is this will be like the first time that Fiji and Portugal have met. Well, definitely it will be the first in a long time at the World Cup. Then they face uh, Wales and Australia. Um, well, Wales isn't any good, so no, that's true. But yeah. uh, Australia, they you know they can well, as, long as, they kick, as long as they uh, kick the uh, penalty in time, then uh, they can be uh, pretty threatening. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I mean, whichever team qualifies through like the final qualification tournament, yeah, that's like no matter how you th- how you look at it, it's gonna be a uh, that's what you get difficult. for being the last team to qualify. You get a yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like, it's never. It's not. It's uh yeah, yeah. You should should have got in it the first chance. You should have yeah. Uh, go for. There's, there's I, it does feel can... weird as like there. It's like. Okay, we've lost to Georgia this many times, and we've lost to these other teams. We've beaten all these other teams. Who do we face? Georgia. All these teams, yeah. It's it, you know, it, it is one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, sometimes you do see like the these qualification tournaments, and you're like, con- congratulations, you get to go zero and four at the World Cup. Um, but I mean, obviously, the money, the monetary benefits outweigh. Yeah, exactly. The score certainly, is, so certainly, I would much rather go zero and four at the. See, we're only we're only mocking this to hide our pain. Yes. Uh, that's it. We're mocking this to hide our pain. Portugal, congratulations. Um, yeah. So we want to say to any um, Eagles fans who are um, heartbroken we got, that we, their we, team we, hasn't we, been able to qualify for the yeah. World Cup um, first time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's actually not their first time. It's our first time. It's not time. their first time. It's their uh, first it time our recently. First time, um, yeah, like, we, we, have, we have had a year's head start. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll be okay in the end. But for now, have that extra drink, have that long cry. Yeah, it'll be okay. Maybe I hope. Maybe yeah, but, we'll see uh, what happens. We're still talking about um, Canada making changes. <laughs> so, yeah, so. You know, um, I think though, like the one thing that it's like, I think looking at this game, obviously it it is it is interesting to see our American friends. Um, kind of going through the same conversations and stuff that we uh we we've been doing for the past like year um you know on this podcast and obviously it's a tough it's a tough day um for rugby in north america um as obviously 
we all want to see the game grow. Um, it's uh, uh, what have you thought of the uh, reaction, Stu? Because I think there's a couple. Um, just to, like the reaction in general to uh, the USA not making it. Because I think there's a couple things that kind of jumped out at me online, but I kind of want to hear your opinion first. Uh, it does seem as though I've heard these conversations before. For yeah, lack of a better thing of like, um, no, Gary Gold needs to step down. <laughs> yep, the, that's one. Uh, the administrators uh, and the executive of USA Rugby need to yeah. step down. They need to um, change. World Rugby needs to change. Not World Rugby. Um, USA Rugby needs to change their focus. They need to. Mm-hmm. Do this and that. If we'd had the ARC, the USA wouldn't be in the same position. Well, I think that's different from Canada because I think the USA took I um, think, the America's Rugby Championship far more seriously than Canada did. I think. And, I think the ARC is is a big deal, and we need. Yeah, I, it's just um, more international games, right? Like, I think that's. Um. It's un- unfortunate, but I think like I think that had an impact, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these aren't. Um, I think one of the big things that will probably come out from this, and it's been highlighted, uh, it's been highlighted for a few tournaments. So this isn't relatively new, um, but I think it's like Chile is the only new uh, union to be going to the World Cup. This year, so, um, so as in uh, Portugal have you know they previously oh they uh, competed in two thousand seven oh okay um, been a while sorry uh and you know Ru- they said Russia's not that well Russia got uh, removed due to yeah. um the invasion of Ukraine deserves it so sorry I was gonna say I think I think one of the things I I I think I've seen kind of jump out at me yeah like. Well, like what you mentioned as far as like Gary Gold and I mean it's it's all honestly it's a lot of the same things that I think we were yelling about about rugby Canada. Um yeah. the one thing though that I've kind of thought seen that's popped up a few times that I thought was really interesting, but I don't quite understand it, is um like the MOR and the relationship to the fact that Canada and the USA are both not in the world. Yeah, I I um, yeah. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um Improving the men's national team is a benefit from MLR. It is not the goal. Yeah. Like, so I think my whole thing is with this. I've been, I've been kind of thinking about this one. Um, and I think, like, the MLR is obviously separate from Rugby Canada and USA yeah. Rugby, despite the fact that they play rugby. And obviously there's a lot, a lot of in the in those countries, and there's obviously a lot of crossover in the actual athletes themselves. Um, but I think, like, I don't know, I think seeing the USA get knocked out of the World Cup, too, um, I think there, we might need to have, like, a little bit of, like, a chicken or the egg kind of conversation, right? Like, yeah. the whole idea of what's going to, like, what comes first, right? Um, and, and in this sense, I kind of mean, like, is, do we think that national team success, the Eagles, Canada, um, national team success is going to lead to an increase in popularity of rugby on our continent or is an increase in popularity of rugby on our continent going to eventually lead to national team success? And yeah. like, I've been kind of thinking about this and I really think it's 
the latter. I think, you know what I mean? Because I think, yeah, like people I've seen, there's posts on Reddit talking about like if it like if this makes the MLR look bad, and there's people arguing about it in like the 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 thread as people yeah. do on all social media, and it's like I really like I think like the MLR is only six years old, right? Yeah, and like. I think, and I'm trying to like compare things, and I don't even know if these are the best comparisons. But you look at some other sports and other national teams around the around other sports, and I'm gonna maybe kind of use a little bit of a smaller scale here. But currently in the NBA, there is a record number of Canadians in the NBA. Um, yeah. There's 23 Canadians in the NBA right now. Between yeah. 1947 and 1995 there was only 12 Canadians that suited up in the NBA over that entire stretch. There's almost yeah. double that playing this season, right? And what's yeah. the biggest difference between prior to 1995 and post-1995? The it's Raptors. The Toronto Raptors, right? Um, and to a smaller extent, I'll give some. I'll give a little shout-out to the Vancouver Grizzlies, too. They existed for a period of time. Yeah, that's yeah, right. And Steve Nash, MVP, right? That was always fun to watch as a Canadian kid. But like, there's a documentary on Netflix um, called The Carter Effect, uh, which is great if you haven't watched it. I would recommend watching it. But it's basically about how the fact that Vince Carter was half man, half amazing was is like the sole one of the maybe sole driving factors to the growth of popularity of basketball in Canada, because all these kids that are now all these kids decide to pick up a basketball because they watch Vince Carter and the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Um, right. And you can kind of see that now by the fact that there's a lot of Canadians in the NBA. Um, yeah. Similarly, right. I'll stick with Toronto. Toronto has a, the one of the best, the star players on um, Toronto's hockey team um, is famously from Arizona. Right. Um, and he is a player that credits the existence of the coyotes um, as you know, a reason that he got into hockey, right? And there's also um, Buffalo Sabres. Tage Thompson right now is also from Arizona. They're around the same age, and they like if you kind of look at that, the Arizona Coyotes played their first game in Arizona in 1996, right? It took 20 years for Tage Thompson and Austin Matthews to show up in the NHL, right? Yeah. Similarly, for those NBA players, it took 20 years. Right. It yeah. took 20 years for that to happen for those guys, for these guys to end up in the NBA. These guys that grew up watching Vince Carter and the Toronto Raptors. It's taken them 20 years before we're like hitting record numbers of Canadians in the NBA. Similarly, as we touched on at the start of the podcast, right? Um, Toronto FC made their MLS debut in 2007. It took mm. 15 years for the Canadian men's national team to get back to the World Cup, which yeah. They're playing. Um, they're they're playing their first World Cup game in since the '80s this week. Um, yeah. We don't know the result of it right now. By the time you're listening, you will. Um, but there's 11 players on the Canadian national team that play at MLS, right? There's obviously more MLS teams than just the uh, than just TFC, but like that's the impact. And I think like you're looking at this, and I'm thinking like. The MLR, I think, is going to be that driving factor in doing something like increasing and growing the game in these regions that these MLR teams are currently located in, right? 
Um, and you know what I mean? Like Alex Magleby um, of the Free Jacks sent out a tweet after the loss um, that essentially that's um, said this. Um, meanwhile, 528 elementary school kids picked up a rugby ball for the first time over the last five days in greater Boston. Yeah. 951,727 still get to in New England. That's a lot of kids. That is yeah. that is a like good good job, Free Jacks. That is an absurd amount of kids. Um, but the thing is though, the one thing that you gotta highlight in this this sentence, right, is elementary school kids. So those kids yeah. that are picking up these rugby balls, I don't know the exact details of what um, the program that um, Magleby is specifically referring to here, but just off the term elementary school kids, like we're talking kids that are what, between the age of six and 14, right? So yeah, yeah right. So we're talking probably what, minimum 10 to 15 years before any of those kids are eagles. Yeah. And it's like, you, you look at that and you kind of go, okay, so... You got like over 900,000 kids picking up a rugby ball. Um, sure, not obviously not all of them are going to fall in love with rugby. That's going to be absurd to suggest, but some of them will, right? Some of them might actually be really good at it too, right? And but either way, though, like that's the thing. It's like you, those kids are now, if they, you know, try rugby at their school, fall in love with it, decide, you know, tell their parents to be like, let's like take me to the Free Jacks game on Saturday, right? And then that helps that helps to grow the game, right? Um, and I think like that's where I think the the real impact on the ML for the MLR is. Like, I think there's a lot of people that I think we're looking at whether the Canadian national team and the US national team have success because oh yeah, the, all the players get to play in MLR now. But it's like the reality, I think, is that. The, the biggest impact that the MLR has on players, I don't think is going to be on guys like Bryce Campbell or Cam Dolan or Lucas Rumball or Ben Lesage. I think the biggest impact that the MLR is going to have on the U.S. and Canadian national team isn't on those guys, um, despite the fact that they play in MLR and are obviously being impacted by it. But the biggest impact isn't going to be those players or any of the players that are already currently in MLR. The biggest impact is going to be on the 10-year-old kid that goes to the Chicago Hounds home opener and gets Bryce Campbell's autograph, falls in love with rugby, and then hopefully actually becomes good at it, right? Or yeah. similarly to that same, you know, that eight-year-old that does the same thing in Toronto with Lucas Rumble, or pick any other team in the league and be like, you know, that that kid that has we'll go with this elementary school age, that six to fourteen year old kid that falls in love with the game because they can go to MLR games. Yeah. Those players, that's where the league is going to have the biggest impact. And it's like if you look at all of that, it's like the these kids that you really want to impact now, right? Those elementary school aged kids, um, you know, maybe like early high school age kids right like those are the ones that you want to impact that's the ones you want to put the mlr in front of that's like you don't like it's not going to be cam dolan that benefits the most from the mlr it's going to be the kid that has the cam dolan poster on his wall right now yeah that's going to eventually grow up and be able to 
to you know play like because you're kind of looking at like look at these like generation gaps and stuff right it's like we talked about all the, like those these nba players right and it's like the MB- the group of nba players right now are the first generation of kids that got to grow up with the nba in canada right and it's and it but it takes 20 years for that to happen right and similarly it's going to take like the, like you're kind of looking at like the 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 usa world cup right yeah it's probably enough time for like that grade eight kid that's like 13 14 to become an eagle yeah right by the time that, that comes around yeah, that's that's the thing is that that's i remember is. um i remember bill webb um I think this was this would have been back in like 2019. So, and it was the the Arrows end of year um, review of how things have gone because obviously some of the guys had gone to yeah the World Cup, and um, he had been asked how how come that Canada had done so badly at the World Cup considering the Arrows were around. To which his response was, "It's not even been a year." They've well, just that, been around for a few months at this point, and that and that is exactly the point. I think people are yeah, that's expecting exactly expecting mountains when all we have are molehills at the moment. I, I, like they're expecting that earth and heavens to move, just well, because we have MLR. That's, that's it's not thing. enough, and it's it's going to take time. Every, exactly. Everything is going to take time. I think the only thing I can add on, like on top of what you say, which I completely agree with, is that the structure of, um rugby progression oh is has to improve it has okay. to be I, I am by no means saying that this is perfect no but yeah. you are but you are explain i do yeah. agree like explaining that yeah. is that There's... when a kid when a kid goes to um yeah. a like their local rugby club for like yeah. an open day of learning how to become a rugby player and like these are the skills you need to learn this is like how you pass the ball and things like that the very basics even by that point, they should be able to see a clear line of how they yeah. go from joining that club mm-hmm. to playing for the national team. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they will all make the national team. But if oh, you oh. if but if you if you say like a kid was to go along to Barmy Beach Rugby Club and be like, okay, from there, where do you go with Rugby Ontario? Where does Rugby Ontario then take you to? Uh, national level and it's like oh you know there's the under 19s there's the um, under 21s there's obviously the senior team there's the sevens team as well yeah and this has to and this is something that you know was brought up in the high performance review we're going to keep coming back to it (laughs) until it's done we're going to keep mentioning it (laughs) until it's fixed Um, yeah but i sorry i'll finish up sorry so yeah as in i think and, and i'm not saying you know, we have to be like, oh, for you to get to this level, to this level, to this level, it's going to cost you this amount of hours of uh, your time. It's going to cost like thousand pound. Um, thousand pounds. Sorry, went a bit too British then. Uh, <laughs> going to cost uh, thousands of dollars over these many years. Um, so that's like ten thousand dollars, a thousand pounds. Exactly. Exactly. Well, actually, uh, well, you know, you know, if if you had done it while Liz Trust was in power, maybe it would have been half that amount. But uh, <laughs> um. But the point I'm making is, so the one of the points I'm making is that, you know, for the uh, women's uh, development is that they got rid of like the pay to play structure. Now, I'm not saying that 
Uh, rugby is the only sport which is pay to play because obviously there is a yeah. very serious issue when it comes to like hockey in Canada of <laughs> how, a few how much issues money when it comes to hockey in Canada. Uh, there's a few issues, a but few there is a few, you know, here and there. But you know, obviously, to, to relate back to rugby is that you know people are saying that it's it's becoming more and more expensive to send their kids to like hockey camps to get the right equipment to get all these kind of things. And this is for a sport which is so culturally included in, um, you know, it's it's part of every Canadian's yeah. blood, essentially. There, there's a team that you follow. If there's if it's not an NHL team that you follow, maybe it's an OHL team or a AHL team or with, or your lo- even your local team, that's what you follow. And they have a money issue when it comes to developing the next generation of players so just imagine what it's like for a niche sport to yeah. be in that same position and you know i have and I, I, we, we are doing this from a canadian perspective where this is a canadian rugby podcast of all but for like the americans watching i have no idea what their pathway is i know there have been issued obviously um i feel like there's been a lot say of about call the college system being a little yeah messed up the last couple yeah. years or something but actually that what that was a comment that um was mentioned is that you know a lot of uh people have issues with like NCAA but if you make rugby an NCAA sport then it suddenly becomes viewable to you know an entire new market well, I mean, and it's not even an official the men's rugby is not an official youth sport sport either yeah exactly and i think that's something Weird, that should be campaigned on that should be women's rugby, that's... But... women's rugby is yeah and so it's getting hard i think from that perspective if you can say well if women's rugby is okay then why is it men's rugby it's because it because it, and... it, it women's sport needed something to balance off football and that's what the youth sports did yeah that's um, it yes yeah i agree agreed um i mean i think people are trying to change that i think though with part of what you were saying there with that you're talking about like the pathway right and like yeah even even hockey it's like you know even if there is issues there or whatever the hockey's got a very clear pathway in this country right and i think um what i liked kind of liked your example right you're talking about um when you were saying um your point there you kind of formed a little bit of a story about like a kid going to balmy beach and then you know trying to work their way up to the mlr right and that's the thing though right is like that alone shows you that this is going to take time because the reality is is it's like any none of the players none of them none of the players that currently play in mlr dreamed about playing in mlr when they were kids because exactly, the MLR yeah. did not exist yeah right and I, I, actually that's something i was meant to mention and then lost track um, oh okay See, so, uh, so so um what, one thing that the mlr has done which has been of which will be of huge benefit going down is yeah. the introduction of different levels of academies you have like senior academies you have youth uh academies you have age grade academies yeah and yes the the teams are doing this because they do get an increased um salary cap as a result but if you have like age grade um kids coming in and playing for like the arrows um youth academy and stuff like that they then have more opportunities to 
see yeah. how the pathway is going. This is something that, you know, the current Arrow senior players never had. Yeah, and, exactly. Or, and or and, and that's the thing. Even if it's a even if it's a case of this player goes through like the Arrows Academy system, uh goes to um, you know, like UBC, for example, and then gets picked up by an American um MLR team, or is even really fortunate and gets picked up by a European or um yeah. New Zealand or Australian team and then gets put in that professional environment and still is able to play for Canada, that is so much legwork that has been covered that was not available yeah. even five years ago. No, exactly. I And I think, like I said, I think that's where um, the MLR is going to, like, that's where I think the MLR's biggest impact is going to be felt, right? Like, you know, the, the reality is, is like a lot of the guys that are on the the Canadian and American national teams at the moment. Um, you know, a lot of them got their first, a lot of them, not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them got their first caps before the MLR was even a thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of those guys, there's a lot of guys that have been, that had lengthy, you know, had had lengthy careers um, before MLR was a thing too. Right. And, but yeah, like the path, I think that's exactly that's exactly it though and it's like i'm like you know trying to use these examples of other sports just to be like yeah like it'll take it takes time right yeah. um, and you know what i mean like it's but it's you know if, if you're willing to put it in like it, it is cool looking at like nhl player birthplaces and seeing like california arizona florida texas mm-hmm. right all popping up because it's probably it wasn't of that those are not common places before the 90s Right. And similarly, as we kind of, as I highlighted, there's a lot more Canadian NBA players than there was in 1994. Right. Um, And like, you have to kind of expose people to the sport. Um, And I like, that's where I think the biggest impact is going to be felt by the MLR. Um, Like you kind of said that, that comment on like, you know, it's like, it's only been a year or whatever with both like, um, you know, uh, you know, a while ago, it's like it's only been a year with both uh, USA and Canada performances at the 2019 World Cup. But it's like I feel like I feel like you can still say that like it's only been six years, right? Yeah. And like one of those six years, I guess, was wiped out by a pandemic too. Um, yeah. But like it's it's only been like six. It's only been six years, and it's like I feel like the MLR um, and like their owners. So it's like if. It's like if you're building a house, right? It's like the yeah. MLR owners right now have like they've poured a foundation. Yeah. And now it rained and we're yeah. all like, this house sucks. There's no <laughs> um, why is the floor wet? And it's just yeah. like, oh, we we haven't finished building the house yet. Um, yeah. right. And it's like it'll be it it like when it rains when the house is built, it's not gonna like um, you know, get the couch wet and stuff. Yeah. Right. And I mean and that's not to say that like the MLR is perfect um, or there's not things that the league can improve because there certainly is. Yeah. Um, right. Um, I just think it's like, I, I don't know. I guess it was like, I guess seeing the comments on like, if it makes the MLR look bad, I'm kind of like, I think they're separate, but it's also like, like, I mean, I guess on one hand, imagine what these teams look like without MLR um, yeah. is like, I guess another way to look at it, but it's like, this league is in this league's in like super early days and it's like 
it's going to take it's going to take time and it's like that's why though i really think like going back to my initial thing like the chicken or the egg like you know national team success leads to popularity or popularity leads to national team success and it's like i genuinely that's why like i kind of think it's probably popularity um yeah because like the mlr if you get good marketing you get owners that care you get coaches that care you get players that care you get those international players that also care and want to be a part of growing the game in north america if you get oh, right guys that care going to camps um right doing like you know going to camps doing like rugby days in schools or like you know going to like other community events or any whatever the each of the 12 teams deem important the best way to market their team and their brand in the, the city that their respective cities. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, if you get, it's like all those people doing that and working towards that. If you increase that popularity, the impact is going to be felt on like a next generation of people that get to fall in love with rugby and then are hopefully really good at it. Um, yeah. But Right. You know what I mean? And it's like even something I think like the American Raptors, um, which is like, um, you know, obviously they've been, you know, running their program and it's like they've been having some success. Um, a couple players graduating the MLR. And it's like there's a small part of me, though, that's like no matter how good one of those Raptors ends up being right. Those that those former football players, the former basketball players, the former wrestlers, um, yeah. former whatever other athletes no matter how good that Raptor ends up being, there's always, I feel like there's always going to be that small part in the back of my mind. It's going to be like, imagine if you started playing rugby at 14 instead of 24. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and I think like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, it's not gonna, like the switch. You have to, we have to put in the work. It's like, we got to start improving these teams. Uh, we got to start improving the way rugby Canada's run USA rugby's run, which is completely separate in my mind from the MLR. Um, but you got to like, by, doing that i think that's where like you have to grow the game in popularity and bring it to the next inspire the next generation of kids right like there's a reason why like vince carter jerseys still sell in toronto yeah it's like that's why everyone that's why so many kids my age people my age i just called myself a kid that was weird (laughs) Um, people my age love basketballs because of vince carter right yeah. and it's still shows and it's like you want the way we feel about vince carter to be the way that kids feel about bryce campbell cam dolan lucas rumball ben lesage cole keith um whoever else you want to add to this list of the american and canadian national team players right mm-hmm. that's what you want to create um and i think that's where the all right and i think if you do that the eagles and canada's national team in 10 to 15 years right which is i think a slightly important thing and it might be too slow for some people but like 10 to 15 much like the men's soccer team that that took 10 years it took 15 yeah. years it's like it's a it's a process but like you got to grow the popularity. I think before I think you have to grow the popularity through marketing and these initiatives before the national teams, and then the national yeah. teams will benefit from that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And okay, one thing to mention because you uh, 
slightly uh, brought it up in uh, when you were talking about uh, growing the game, is that we finally have our 12th team um, announced, and it is the Chicago Hounds. Um, so there was a small 30-minute uh, press release that's still available on uh, Facebook, which revealed the name and logo of the expansion side. And um, feature the general manager James English uh, explained the choices, uh, saying, uh, "It's a hound's head embodies the spirit of Chicago with strength, guts, and ferocity. The six-pointed star pays homage to the Chicago flag and our city's storied history. And the color scheme of green, white, and blue stand proudly for Chicago and our Irish roots. And the blue converging lines are inspired by the Chicago River as it merges. You see behind." Mm-hmm. In- Today, um, two of the team's ownership group, which include Phil Groves and Matthew Thatchell, um, spoke at the event along with their new head coach, Sam Harris. So he has uh, he's staying in MLR, moving now to the new Chicago team. And um, we also have the first signings announced, which includes Bryce Campbell. However, it was also players that were also there were Mike Matarazzo, Sydney Shoup, and Caleb Strum. What do you think of the uh, Chicago Hounds logo? Um, it, my first reaction to it was, um, it looks like they play in Winterfell, um, <laughs> kind of immediate Game of Thrones vibes. Um, it, it looks very much to me anyways, the hound in the middle, um, looks very much like a Game of Thrones sigil to me, um, which by the way, I am absolutely not saying is a bad thing. Um, <laughs> I actually really like the logo, um. It does. I think it's also the fact that the team's called the Hounds, which is a Game of Thrones. I'm just getting all around Game yeah. of Thrones from uh, from this logo, yeah. um, which is a good thing. I do like um, you know some of those touches that they put in. I do think it's cool when uh, it's a big trend. I think in sport logo design right now to make sure that every line means something somewhat important. Um, so yeah. kind of cool to see Chicago adding in some of those details. Um, I like the green and blue colors. It looks good. Um, I think Sam Harris being the coach, this makes so much sense. Um, you know, just because obviously, I mean, he's the coach of Austin uh, and Austin is going to make up a good chunk of this team mixed in with some obviously guys from LA and a few, a couple guys sprinkled in from other parts of the league. But how do you not go with this? Like if you're going to end up with a lot of the Austin players like why not go out and grab the coach that took them from an 0-16 team to barring a disqualification less serious shield threat um yeah. right and um like it's it makes all the sense in the world to me to hire him to be the coach um and uh you know nice to see a couple big name players bryce campbell obviously you know big uh you know very prominent player on the usa national team right so Nice to see us uh, to see him um, already signing with uh, with the Hounds, and uh, yeah, man, uh, you know I th- I thought the logo looked nice, nice branding. Uh, the coach makes all the sense in the world. Um, ownership group is cool. Um, James English obviously involved in Rooney um, earlier, um, which is probably a good thing, man. I think uh, like you know perhaps some lessons learned from Adam Gilchrist that you gotta maybe look for owners that kind of are going to align well within the league and the direction that the league wants to go. Um, so I think maybe a good way of doing that is to go out and get somebody that's already been an owner in the league. Right. So um, to help out with that group. So 
overall kind of like the uh, I don't know. I got a pretty good first impression of uh, the Chicago Hounds. I like like the name, like the logo, um, like a couple of their first signings, like the coach. So yeah, pretty positive. I think, you? I think the only issues I have is one: while they do have like social media pages, they don't have a website set up, which is mm. kind of disappointing. Yeah. Also, I feel that this announcement should have come before the uh, schedule release. <laughs> oh, so, so that they could be on the schedule. Um, yeah, so that they could actually have their um, colors and logo so present. Circling back to the MLR is not perfect, but I think yes, exactly. This conversation uh, from two minutes yeah. ago. Um, yeah. So, um, also mentioned that um, they the team will be playing at SeatGeek Stadium, which is a twenty thousand capacity facility. Uh, you may also know it as Toyota Park, as the previous home of Chicago Fire in um, MLS. Uh, they will play their first regular season game on the road against Oklahoma DC on February 18th. They'll have their home opener against Utah Warriors on March the 4th. And then the following week, they will be playing the Toronto Arrows. So all those dates I just gave you are for 2023. But there is still the opportunity to watch rugby in 2022. We have the final two games of the Autumn Nation series, which will be England versus South Africa and Wales versus Australia. Those will be available on DAZN. And we have the return of the Premiership and URC, and both will be available on Sportsnet. But if you like listening to this podcast and would like to listen to more, you can do so on uh, Spotify, Anchor FM, or Apple Podcasts. And if you like uh, watching our content, then you can do so on our YouTube channel, which is at La Rouge Rugby. And in fact, you can follow us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, while it's still around, Instagram, <laughs> and TikTok, again, at La Rouge Rugby. Derek, where can the fine people find you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Brissette the Jet across all social media platforms. And uh, who knows, maybe, yeah, looking for uh, some new homes, I guess, uh, depending on... Thanks, Elon. Thanks, uh... <laughs> Screwing up the thing that MLR fans used to communicate the most. Yeah. You can find me across uh, social media as well at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, Derek, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Rouge Rugby. And thank you all for joining us as we've talked about real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time. <laughs>